Testing, testing, one, two. Go ahead. Testing, testing. <laughs> Play it back, I have to. No, not right now. We we are on a limited time. <laughs> I was like bitchy for a minute when I was like, what the fuck is this equipment in this new recording studio? But now, my Turns little... Out, that's what it's like working with better equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, we haven't recorded a podcast in so long. I don't remember what I'm doing. Like, who are you? Who? <laughs> <laughs> what show am I on? <laughs> All right, here we go. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. A project by Remodeled Love, whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include non-monogamy, polyamory, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine family and redefine love. Fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Remodeled the Podcast. I am your polyamorous mama, Jessica Levity Day Lover, and with me, as always, is the USB to my USB-C, <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Day Lover. The HDMI to your thingy that needs a cord. <laughs> we are in a brand new recording studio in our new co-work space, and we've never recorded in here before, and we just walked in and nothing was set up. Luckily, I am a brilliant audio producer. With a vast background in this equipment and could figure it out, but it required Joe looking through a box of cords. <laughs> I believe it was I who found the correct piece that was needed. <laughs> HDMI to this thingy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and spotted. No, that looks like the right hookup. Yeah. Hey, you did it. And now we're here and we're recording and it's going to be great. So if you want to support the podcast, you can do so on our Patreon, patreon.com slash home slice productions. Our Patreon has grown quite a bit over the last year, all thanks to y'all. And it is possibly the thing that is going to set us free and change the course of our future and hopefully get Joe out of teaching where he is severely underpaid. Emphasis on severely. Yeah, so by joining our Patreon, you get access to all kinds of benefits, like you get access to our support group. We have a support group for parents. We have a, a new support group we're going to be talking about later for men. Access to both of our personal diaries and access to our close friends list on Instagram, which gives you behind the scenes look at our life. And it's just fun. That's actually quite a lot. It is a lot. We, have a, we do have a lot of benefits on there. Yeah, so we've been receiving feedback that y'all loved season one of this podcast, which was a, just a lot of me and you. And we received a lot of feedback that people love season two, but they really love listening episodes where you and I are doing our thing. And, you know, people were really delicate about it. They're like, Jess, we appreciate your interviews with other Aww. people and you're a great interviewer and we love the people you've brought in, but it's just not what I'm looking for in your podcast. And I just want to let you know, we hear you. I hear you. And so we're almost at the end of season two here. It's all kind of random and it doesn't mean anything to us we're not going to be really taking a break it took us a year do you know we started season two like right after <laughs> lucius was born and he's now 15 months old lucius is 15 months old yeah i remember having a thought about season one like hey we should f do an episode a week right yeah like, we should stick to this thing and it's just kind of arbitrary and wow look at how time has passed by and, and it was just a really hard it's just been a really hard transition if you're here with us and you're you know one of our hardcore fans you just know that we've been having a rough time lucius still isn't sleeping through the night and so anyway but we are slowly getting our routine back and i just want to let you know that we will be continuing with a lot more episodes of me and you and maybe we might bring people in to chat with us um, but today what you're going to hear is a new format for episodes when it's just me and you and I think having this format will get us into the recording studio more often I really am having a very lovely flashback to my radio days right now because we're wearing headphones we're in a very legit recording studio it's very nice I know I kind of feel a little bit like I'm half underwater I'm here for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really nice to be able to be at the same volume level I think everyone's going to appreciate appreciate the higher audio production. <laughs> right. Hopefully the structure will get us in here more because I do really enjoy recording the podcast episodes when we get to. Yeah. And so I still have some incredible interview episodes on 
back order and backlog. And so I think I have about six episodes I haven't released yet with other content creators that you definitely need to hear. So I'm going to be sprinkling those in. So stick around, but we will be orienting more toward these types of episodes with just me and you talking. So without further ado, here, here we go. here's the new format of our podcast. Uh, so we're going to start with what's new with Remodeled Love, just like recent shit with Remodeled Love and upcoming shit. And then part two is going to be the hot goss. Yeah, so we're going to do updates on our personal love lives and just in general hot goss in our lives. Part three is going to be, oh man, I wrote down E-T-I-B-H-L. Oh, existential thoughts I've been having lately. (laughs) It's like some (laughs) random person's license plate (laughs) that you wrote down. That's... I was like, I'll remember what this stands for. (laughs) E-T-I-B-H-L. Existential thoughts I've been having lately. Ooh, I like that too. And then we're going to be doing, if we have time, one listener email, like kind of Dear Abby. (laughs) 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 I called it Dear Flabby because Joe and I are both flabbing (laughs) flabbing out, you know. Hey, Uh you know, fat liberation, flabby. Hot girl summer. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of our swimsuits really fit and we're like still going to the beach. We're like, who cares? Yeah, it's all good. Living yeah. my best dad bod life right Fuck now. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay, so let's start with what's new with Remodeled Love, which, hello, we wrote a fucking book. That's amazing. Hey, what do these buttons do? <laughs> <laughs> that was way too long. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was ridiculous. Okay, but there are eight buttons here, and I just happened to pick the applause one on a perfect applause cue. What's this one do? Okay, crickets for something awkward. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are way too long. Oh. <laughs> okay, stop. Stop. I'm Might not going to do one, that one um, for the existential portion. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't season two supposed to be unedited? I have failed. Like the whole thought was like, I don't need to produce these. I can just, we could just record them and get them up. And I just can't. I can't I don't do know it. what you were thinking personally. I can't do it. I have a product in mind and it's like asking a sculptor not to sculpt with the right tools i don't know well yes and you just have to let the person do and see that it doesn't hold up there has to be a way to like there has to be a way to like lessen that anyway i will stop doing that (laughs) but i've never had one of these Back to, we wrote a book. Right. (laughs) Applause. Yeah. Okay, so we wrote a fucking book. It's called Polyamory and Parenthood, Navigating Non-Monogamy as Parents of Young Children. And we specify young children because, you know, we have no experience, obviously, with the older ages. And that would seem to me a very different ballgame, too. I think it is. And so we called this volume one because we're hoping to write volume two when our kids get older. And so we talk about the five different types of people who we think would benefit from this book. And so number one is people who are considering polyamory and already have kids. Mm -hmm. People who are already polyamorous, but considering having kids. Got it. Those nude of polyamory and don't have kids oh yeah yeah yeah. so uh, exploring polyamory and don't have kids already exploring polyamory and do have kids and then uh the fifth category is people who are interested in learning about dating people who have kids or perhaps you're already dating people who have kids and you just want to understand their life a little bit better and the slogan navigating non-monogamy for parents of young children i mean that is really what the book is about yeah it's very straightforward i mean we get to be creative and fun like we always are with the writing of this book, but it's a guidebook for those in similar situations. And it's very guidey. I'm very proud because you know I'm all about a clever title. Like I very rarely release very subdued titles and I don't think I've ever released- I was released... shocked for you. <laughs> I know. I've never released a mundane title of anything, but I really was like, no, but this, I want to keep it simple because that is what this book is. And it's 106 pages. It's an ebook. You can download it. We also set it so that you can print it. So, and it's not going to be that expensive to print. You can even print in black and white, although the photos that we put in the book are beautiful if you want it to print in color. We do have a print to order book coming out. So one of our followers volunteered to um, to do that for us. So they're going to turn our book That's into amazing. a printed book that you can print to order. But it, you know, it's just, it's not ready yet. We're also turning it into an audiobook. Obviously people are like, are you going to make an audiobook? I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> 
Of course, I'm going to make an audiobook, but the pressure to like have all of these products ready before we released was too much. And it was like, this book is done. It took nine months. We call it our third baby because it was incepted right after I visited Albert, Polyman Answers, right around my birthday in November. That's when the idea came to me on the bus ride home from Sacramento. And then we started working on it and we wrote it for nine months. And then, um, God, what a process. Were you expecting the process to be that <laughs> that intense? No, not at all, because I didn't, ex- in my mind, it was more of a workshop companion book that we were creating that's how it started it started as a companion book to a workshop and then all of a sudden we're like holy shit this is so much more than that yeah no so for me it just felt like we kept adding material to that and then come to find out oh actually we have an entire book on our hands now and i think at times we were we were frustrating that we wanted to keep adding more but at the same time just let the process evolve and couldn't have imagined omitting any of that stuff right so it's 15 chapters with a whole preamble will you will you go through the chapter titles i'm really proud uh oh he didn't have it up i told you to get your computer and pull up our <laughs> chapter titles you had one job actually you had two jobs the first job was to find the cord with hdmi to the thingy and your second job was to have our book titles up Yes. Well, my screensaver goes on pretty quickly, so I can't be faulted for that because goal number one, have a good podcast conversation that we can record. Achieved. Okay. I'm looking at the table of contents. So there are some disclaimer chapters, I guess we could call them before we get to the things that are actually called chapters. We have some disclaimers about where we're coming from, the various privileges that we carry, and just in general, our perspective as anti-capitalists and how this shows up in the book. And we've talked about the different people who would benefit. Yeah. And actually back to the disclaimer thing. I mean, we put this disclaimer at the beginning of the book, obviously, for a very good reason. And we're, you know, you listen to this podcast, we're always having people do, you know, privilege checks and things like that when they come on for, you know, to interview with us. And because it's what use is our wisdom to anybody if you are not understanding the lens with which we are bringing it to you. Um, And so we need people reading this book to understand that we are coming from a very privileged point of view and that our experience of polyamory is not going to be applicable to everyone, especially, you know, BIPOC folks and folks with access to less resources and single parents, single parents. um, And people did ask, will this book be relevant to single parents? And we initially said, you know, I don't know, but actually one of my colleagues, um, Kathy Ray over there in England, you know, she just read it and she went into it saying, I didn't expect the book to be very relevant, relevant to me as a single poly person, but it was actually much more relevant than, than we thought it would be and that she thought it would be. Um, And so I just want to go over the disclaimer real quick. The very last paragraph, we most importantly, we want to always remind you, oh, this is a quote from our book, quote, most importantly, we always want to remind you that our wisdom is rooted in a mononormative perspective. Learning to be a polyamorous parent isn't radical, yet it seems that way due to its departure from the dominant culture. Our work here in this book narrowly focuses on those privileged enough to learn such lessons as we have And with this, we encourage taking a critical lens towards mainstream polyamorous perspectives, including our own. Spoken like a true liberal arts major. (laughs) Totally. So we're just, we're encouraging people to be very critical of our book and basically take what resonates translate like if if there's something that sort of resonates but it doesn't apply to you but your brain can kind of translate it to apply to you then go ahead and do that and then leave the rest um but but stay critical because our experience of polyamory is still very mononormative and i i know this is a very intellectual concept but it's so important that people start to understand this and it's something i explained to you um as we were writing this disclaimer and i'd love for you to sort of unpack you realizing what i was talking about just the idea that it seems radical to be moving from a monogamous relationship to a polyamorous one. And that's sort of the main narrative that defines a lot of the talk about polyamory in these spaces is, you know, things about jealousy and things about, you know, like overcoming a lot of those insecurities that happen for some partners when they open up 
their relationship. And it's important to acknowledge because we over here, us Westerners are thinking it's radical because we've been so used to Mm -hmm. the sort of Christian patriarchy that pushes monogamy. And so it seems very radical in that sense. But when we do that, we're not acknowledging other cultures who have been around, who have been existing this whole time saying, hey, we've been doing it this way. Yeah, That's just your own Western shit that you're unlearning. Like this is all completely... Yeah normal to us and so you know when you present it as radical like you're effectively like shutting us out totally and and also we are viewing polyamory we're just we're we're doing polyamory polyamory from a mononormative consciousness so we're like hey look we're polyamorous now but really what you have to consider is that for most white Americans we're doing polyamory but we're really doing it in a really mononormative way and so to not forget like our consciousness is still very rooted in mononormativity um and so I think that's a super important concept and I really recommend following anti-mononormative that is their name on TikTok and Instagram and they are an indigenous polyamorous content creator they are brilliant they're just entered a PhD program um, where they're going to be talking about all this stuff. And as far as dismantling uh, your mononormativity, that's that's who you need to be following to understand these concepts. And it's interesting, like once you see it that way, you can't unsee it. Yeah, totally. It's really bizarre. But I want to share, what are some of your favorite chapters? Actually, I, I am really proud of that first chapter where we tell our story. And this is something we've told over this podcast before. It's something we've shared various in various pieces of content, but I had fun writing it and it was kind of interesting to trace our polyamorous journey from start to now and the different things we used to have in place and and what our polyamorous expression has evolved too. Yeah, we've been polyamorous for almost a decade. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And so making it clear to people at the beginning, this is where we're coming from as a polyamorous couple. This is this is where we've arrived and are continuing to learn and grow. And it just seemed like such a far cry from the beginning. Yeah. uh, My favorite chapters are some of the really philosophical, or I don't even know if you'd call it that, but the really meaty chapters that I wrote uh, based on some of my most viral content. And so I went back and I looked at some of my most viral content that people were really like, holy shit, you are really putting something out there. And I took that small piece of content and I expanded it into longer essays. And what came out, I was like, I just felt so proud. And I don't think of myself as a writer. And I now officially think of myself as a writer after this book. Yeah, and you should. Those are really great chapters, the ones about pregnancy. And I think those are going to ring true for some mamas out there. Yeah. And there's a a chapter on couples privilege and hierarchy. And the way that I explain it is like a little different than I think other people explain it, um, you know, across uh, social media. And then we have this something we created called the whole ass person principle, which I think is really helping a lot of people. We talk about polysaturation. We talk about our journey of needing fewer boundaries within our polyamory over time. And then we have a best practices chapter with, with a lot of stuff in it that we recommend for those exploring polyamory with young children in the picture. And the the biggest one that people are most excited about is our time banking system. And we have a, a very intricate time banking system where we log. Uh, we have something called autonomous time, which is time spent out of the house to take off your parent hat, take off your spouse hat and go be a whole ass person, actually, to tie it back to a previous chapter. And we log all that, whether you are out having coffee with your colleagues or like for fun or fucking your partner Like, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's just logged as time away so that we can make sure that we are showing up equitably in our relationship. And it's just very easy for one person to suddenly start spending more time away and for the other person to start projecting how much time they're really away and the other person to be delusional about it. And it's like, why even set that up when you can literally just log it and create a timetable? And once Lucius came into the picture and we had two kids, we decided that we needed a point system. And so many people think it's overkill and I could not care less. We literally have a point system because being on, you know, rocking the solo parenting duty with two kids during the day. Little kids. Little kids during the day is very different than when one of us leaves after bedtime and has like an overnight with a partner. It's a very different eight hour experience. And so we created a point system and we actually give you an exclusive look at our time baking system with screenshots of our spreadsheet and everything in this book. So if that's something that you feel like can help you, 
buy our book. And guess what? Our book is available at mutual aid pricing, which is something we are really privileged and honored to do. So you can pay anywhere between $5 and $50 for the book. And we are approaching like 300 sales of this book. And we are averaging right down the middle between $20 and $25, which is exactly what we would have charged for the book. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So, okay, that ends segment one. What's new with Remodeled Love? (laughs) Please know I had no idea that was going to be the sound. (laughs) Um, Oh, wait, no, there's one more thing. You launched a new support group exclusive to our Patreon members that we're really proud of. Why don't you talk about that really quick? Dudes with feelings. So similar to the Commiseration Club, it's a space for people to share about what's going on and potentially get feedback and advice if they are requesting it or wanting that. And we had a really awesome first meeting with eight members, I I recall, showed up. And that was just uh, everyone showed up in a really productive and helpful and mindful manner. And um, I was just really blown away with, you know, how smoothly everything flowed. Well, you sort of glossed over that. You're like, it's a place for people to talk about what they're going through. No, it is a place for dudes to talk about their feelings. Yeah, no, I know that I kind of underplay that a little bit there in in trying to be brief. But yes, that is the emphasis on the fact that this is something that we don't do enough of and that we're consciously creating this group in order to do that very thing. Yeah, and, and it's open to all people who identify as men. It is a trans affirming, queer affirming space. It's something that I am really honored to kind of facilitate and be a part of. Yes. And of course we are fully aware it is being led by, you know, a cishet white man, uh, but it is an anti-racist space and uh, we are hoping that more BIPOC feel safe to show up. And, And we had a nice amount of diversity you said in the last meeting, but we're hoping to create an even safer space for more diversity from whiteness to arrive. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'm the kind of person that welcomes input and and is ready to learn to grow right alongside everyone else. Yeah, and we even had Polyman Answers uh, kind of co- Love them. Yeah, kind of co-facilitating with you, which was really nice. Okay, now that's what's new with Remodeled Love. Do, do, do. Lots of fun stuff. Okay. (laughs) All right, part two. Hot goss. Time for the hot goss. I feel like... I was like, I feel like we need a section on like what's going on in our love lives, which will force us to confront that nothing's going on in our love lives. (laughs) Well, that's slightly not correct to say nothing. But yes, uh, Wendy, look at the polyamorous tropes of, you know, going on dating multiple people all the time continuously. That's certainly not us. No. Okay. And I don't really remember where we left off, but just to kind of, if, if you're on the close friend, if you're on our Patreon, then you're on the close friends list, then you know where I'm at with my love life. So I think where I left off, I was dating this guy that I'd met on Tinder actually back in December. And I had asked him to be my boyfriend on a trip to Oregon, I think in January. And of course, the three month curse came and we had a really lovely breakup. It just became just apparent that (laughs) I had emotional needs that were just not really his jam his Venus is an air sign and my Venus is a water sign. So really that sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) I trust that it does. (laughs) Well, because of, so our Venus, where our Venus placement is talks about how we, how we show up in relationships and love in this lifetime. And you know, if your Venus is an air sign, you're fucking floating around out in the ethers. Right. Um, And my Venus is a water sign, meaning I am emotional. I am so emotion based and not only a water sign, my Venus is in Scorpio, as we all know, meaning I love for my love to be intense and to travel to the depths of the earth. And so I had come up with this metaphor when I was kind of unpacking it in the close friends list that moved a lot of people. So I think I'll just bring it here where in relationships, I like to be pushed on a swing, like on a swing set on a playground and being pushed on a swing to me means emotional connection right and and a lot in a lot of affirmation and it's not that i need it it's just what i like it's why i come on the playground it's why i even go on the playground quote unquote which is why it's a metaphor for why i even enter these relationships is because that's what's fun to me is to get pushed on the swing and to push on the swing and pushing on the swing just really wasn't his thing and we had this really beautiful breakup shortly after um i got my tubes out 
which was, I think I was like really high. Bad timing on their part. <laughs> no, 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 no. We made sure we got a few in. But I was like really high on pain meds and he was laying with me and I told him the swing metaphor of like, I like to be pushed on the swing and I think that you need someone who doesn't want to be pushed on the swing. And he was like really moved by that. He was like, I would say that's really accurate. And so we ended things. We attempted to be friends with benefits. That didn't really work out. But it was a really beautiful, very conscious uncoupling um, to people who could take full responsibility. So I took full responsibility for the fact that I like to be pushed on swings in relationships. And it's my job to recognize I'm not being pushed on the swing, to make the request to be pushed on the swing, and to then draw the boundary and walk away when it was clear I wasn't being pushed on the swing. So I never entered, entered victim mode. I never made him feel like he was a bad partner or a bad boyfriend or a bad lover. It was me totally saying... It is time for me to stand up and say, I want a relationship where I'm being pushed on the swing freely and um, by somebody who really enjoys it. You know, you shouldn't have to like phone it in. And he really he was really moved by that. And so it was a very conscious uncoupling. And then we didn't really um, see each other for like seven weeks. And then I am uncovering a lot of uh, childhood trauma right now in the form of realizing that my entire childhood was, though very privileged and there was a lot of love. There was also a lot of. <laughs> Sorry, I was waiting for the right moment to push that. <laughs> that was perfect. That sound sums it sums up. Sums it out. Um, I knew I had a lot of trauma in my childhood, but it was like in one singular moment um, in an interaction with one of my parents. It was just like all of these memories that I had labeled as like unfortunate in my brain all of a sudden got labeled as emotional abuse. And so, you different know, category. different category. Again, I really want to emphasize I was a very privileged, very well taken care of child. I do believe that my parents' emotional abuse and emotional neglect is all the result of their own emotional abuse and emotional neglect, compassion, empathy, love, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it has been a very rough that happened in at the end of May that I like had this awakening and it's been very traumatic and it led me to reading the book Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, which if you are a millennial, if you're a human, you need to read this book. Life changing. And, um, you know, my former partner and I have very similar experiences as children. And so we were talking about the book and, you know, I went over there to talk to him about the book and the things I was learning. And in that seven weeks, <laughs> it turned <laughs> Sounds out. Sounds like every book club meeting I've ever been to. <laughs> uh, in that seven weeks, I think that I think that somebody missed me a little bit. Yeah. And it's weird when you move that energy and when you when you stand in a breakup and you own your responsibility and you don't move into blame or any of that stuff, it really gives the opportunity for the person to hear what you're saying. Yeah. Big um, time. Because I was like, Hey, I want to be pushed on a swing and you don't want to push me on a swing and that's okay. And he was like, but I want to want to push you on the swing. And I think if I had come in with like, you don't push me on a swing cause you're a shitty boyfriend. Then he would have been like, fuck you. But because I didn't do that, I really think it gave him this time to think about like, why don't I want to push somebody on the swing and what is that related to? And so he started doing his work and I did my work and we're not back together by any means, but we have, <laughs> we have, go on. <laughs> I was also telling him along with the swing metaphor that like there, you know, Alan Watts says there's two types of people. There's prickly people and gooey people and the world needs both prickly goo and gooey pricks. <laughs> Prickles. I think we're getting into some mixed metaphors. <laughs> I know that's Jessica Levity, the mixed metaphor. Prickly gooey swings. Shut up. Roll with me. You're following me. They're following me. If you're not following me, rewind 15 minutes. Um. So... And, and he, same thing where I was like, in relationships, I'm very gooey. I'm very gooey. And and he's same thing. And he's like, and I'm prickles, but I want to be gooier. And so I don't know. I think my absence, he, you know, whatever happened in him, he's just a really good person. I love him so much and I love his heart. And I don't know, the energy cleared a little bit. And so we are now reconnected, not back together, because I think there's a very specific category of relationship that... You know how I talk about riding the edge? Like in polyamory, you really have to learn to, to find what I would call the karma, and that doesn't have to be spiritual to you. It's just it's just a concept of like, the what is the karma? The dharma is actually probably the better word. What is the dharma, the destiny of this relationship? And 
as much as I like him and I wish that we were more of an entree, I think that our dharma is more side dishy. And I think I tried to make it more of an entree in what we now call season one of us. <laughs> but I really think that we're more of an entree. And I know that sounds hierarchical, but I really mean it in the least hierarchical way. It, it just is. It just is. I don't know. Like, it seems like you both, if I were to venture an opinion here, knowing you really well, it seems like you both are trying to, like, acknowledge but not acknowledge the fact that you're looking for something more ideal. And once that once that comes once that you find that you'll vastly have less time for this okay so, relationship so joe's theory is that when me and this partner of mine lover of mine each find something that is much more resonant uh, for what each of us are looking for that we will just like not have time for the other person and we'll actually be very less interested in each other because like and I which I'm saying isn't bad necessarily you know I really am open to you being right I really am I can see it and I've talked about it with him like I told him that you think this and he's like yeah and we are both kind of like yeah I could see it but then recently like every time we hang out, we do more and more and more emotional work. And I think in a world where both he and I continue to do this uh, um, healing work to figure out why we are so afraid of emotional connection, because I crave it, but I'm deeply afraid of it, which is why I manifest partners who are also deeply afraid of it. I think that we can, we will stay in resonance. Like we're <laughs> fucking, I'm all about these metaphors. Like we're a chord. We're not the same key or we're not the same note, but we're a chord. Like we're two notes in it. We're a harmony. I think we're in a different concerto <laughs> at this point. Like, I don't know what okay. movement we are in. Whatever. I can see it. I'm we're giving you a hard time, but I'm just, I, I'm just reminding of what I feel like is really important. It is that there's uh, an emotional connection here that is present that you're both not able to acknowledge the depths of, and it's going to be hard, uh, particularly harder for one of you when the other meets the more resonant partner. And my theory is that when I meet a more resonant partner, his side dishness will click more into a very comfortable place because I will stop wanting things from him that is just not in our dharma for him to give me. So I really want a partner who wants to be at our house and wants to play with our kids and wants to play house with me when you're out of town and like wants to make us dinner and wants to go on trips. Like I really, really want a partner who wants to do that. And I, I, it's just not who he is or it's not who we are. It's not in our Dharma to be those things. Thus the side dish versus the entree. And I think in a world where I have a very, somebody who does meet that for me, then I will very much enjoy <laughs> well, I'll very much enjoy what we are, which is uh, this very yummy side dish with very low stakes and very low expectation. But I can absolutely see you being right where it goes the other way, where I have this entree and then I'm like, why am I like this doesn't work for me? But it, I, I don't know, because it could make it work more. It could actually be you could be totally wrong. It could make it work more. <laughs> I, I I hope the best for both of you in this situation. But I love his heart. Regardless, I love his heart. We are also growing sexually together, and I really love the sex that we're having. And good. Um, um, I think that yeah, he's a good dude. I just know where both of you are at individually. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, I'm excited for your update. That's my update. He's out of town. I was out of town producing at a music festival for like almost two weeks. And then as soon as I got back, he left to go home for over two weeks. Um, and so we're kind of just in whatever right now. And so who the fuck knows? I have a lot of like... I I feel like I want to guard my heart a little bit like his yeah, I totally. do feel like he could find somebody his entree and that him finding his entree could just leave me in the dust. I really do feel like you could be right and it makes me want to guard my heart and just end it now. Um, but at our last conversation, he started the conversation saying he feels like that's going to happen. Like he agreed with you that if he meets his entree, 
somebody who vibes more with him, somebody who wants to go fishing and run marathons with him, <laughs> like that he's just not going to have bandwidth for me. And that made me want to guard my heart. But then we had a really intense conversation and worked through a lot of stuff. And by the end of that conversation, he was on the complete opposite end and was like, how do I do the work to make sure that I keep you as one of my partners. And I was like, I need affirmation and regularly scheduled time. That's it. So that's where we left off. That's where we left off. <laughs> that was actually some hot goss. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Like hot goss. Oh, meaning it was drawn out. Sorry. I was oh. giving you a hard time. <laughs> I don't get it. Shut up. Okay. What's your hot goss? What update on your love life? I think this is where you hit the crickets button. Oh, damn it. That's not hey, that. the the Twilight Zone works too. Oh wait, there's crickets. Not much going on. I mean, I've been frustrated. I think I might have shared this on different um, posts that we've done, but you know, the apps have been kind of frustrating lately. Haven't really had too many good matches. Don't really have much energy to pursue or put in a lot of effort right now. So not really too much dating. Not any dating at all, really, locally in town and so yeah pretty much crickets and i guess like i'm half fine with that but of course that's also like frustrating and upsetting too okay so we are about halfway through the episode we need to take a break for to plug some promotions and also i have a peer support call don't forget i do peer support for the polyam community so i'm gonna go take this peer support call and when we come back we're gonna hear joe's hot goss then we're gonna get into existential thoughts i've been having lately and then we're gonna read a listener email we'll be right back Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Daylover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the Daylovers, head to remodelledlove.com and book with us today. <sighs> you tiny bitch. Just a tiny little shepherd. Do you think it's funny I'm drinking the same cup of coffee from this morning? I love this about you, actually. <laughs> really? Okay, everybody, we are back. Had a really powerful support, peer support session just now. Such an honor to be able to show up for people in this way and to have the relevant <laughs> skills. Can I just say that it's amazing how you show up in that space and just how quickly you've taken to that. Oh, thank you. I am, I am a trained coach. Right, 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 right. But this is a whole different animal, you know shepherding folks through these kinds of things and so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah sometimes i mean i'm i think if anything the most important skill you can have and i and i just did an interview with shrimp teeth about this uh about this very same thing and it's a great interview love I, I, I love them i love them too and I, I was like i have to put out a couple episodes of just me and you because that's what the people want but i am very excited for that episode because uh, i talk about the most important thing that a coach because it's such a made-up industry uh, the most important thing a coach can have is the ability to recognize when they're out of their scope. And I have that. I have a very wide scope, but I'm also able to recognize this is out of my scope and here's who I think you need to talk to or the type of person that you need to talk to, or at least I'm going to end talking to you about this thing because it's out of my scope. Anyway, we're back to the hot goss. Joe was going to give us the hot goss of his current love life. Yeah, I have some fun updates actually. So the last time... We checked in here. I visited Lore in LA. That was the first time I had gone down there to kick it in their space with their polycule with whom they live. And so it was kind of a big deal. Things went amazingly well. They do a burlesque show in their backyard once every month themed. This month's theme was a sex worker type show. They did a scene reenacting from Pretty Woman. And of course, naturally, I stepped in as Richard Gere. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. I also did a little piano bit. Got to play some ragtime, which you know I love to sneak that in any way that I can. Joe came home like, oh, I can't believe I have to go visit my other partner doing during a time where they're having a burlesque show with their hot friends. Yeah, so there's half-naked women running through the house, you know, throughout the day. And of course, you know, fun after-party times. They've turned it into a social club and so are just doing amazing work down there in the queer theater scene. And um, it was just so cool to be a part of all that. 
And to naturally step right in was an absolute blast. And that dynamic is just amazing and continues to be like kind of a barometer for me. Like when I'm out there struggling in the dating world, I'm like, oh, you know, Laura would never say or do anything like that. It kind of brings me back into perspective because they're really amazing and awesome and looking to kind of making a regular, maybe quarterly visit type thing Um, because traveling is pretty tough for them. So and L.A. is not far from here. So that would be just really awesome and super grounding. So that that update is, is fun and amazing and great. I'm talking to a few folks, but otherwise I alluded to the crickets. There's not much else going on. The right on cue, babe. Thanks. <laughs> I, the description for this episode is going to be... The day lovers get access to a soundboard. (laughs) (laughs) So just had, you know, in summary, just some random and weird interactions on the dating apps. And, you know, that thing of like the people that you don't want to talk to the people that want to talk to you and then vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) Too real, too real, too real, too real. Or it's just compatibility is really hard to find. And sometimes that can be that can ring a little absurd. (laughs) <laughs> in, the, in the online dating world. But I think I su- I also sort of summarized that I'm like half okay with it, but also half like, of course, frustrated and wish that finding local partners weren't such a challenge. Can I just say you look really hot in that shirt? I'm like recording this for Instagram and TikTok right now. And like, you just look muscly and hot. Thank you for sensing my need for affirmation. <laughs> Best. No, um, I'm wishing for you a local partner that wants to bounce on your dick often. (laughs) Bring it my way. You know, (laughs) I think we should just change my dating app profile to that. (laughs) Done. Uh, But, you know, I remain, you know, hopeful, positive. And I one, one thing that I have to remember, too, which I feel like is a really important lesson is I always remind myself of all the really awesome relationships that I do currently have. Those that are sexual, but also the platonic ones as well. Lots of amazing friends and a really cool and expanding poly circle here within Reno, too. So lots to lots to celebrate and feel good about as well. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons that me and this other lover that I have, you know, continue to stay connected is because it is really nice to have and a I am so connection. happy for the both of you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel you. So I <laughs> I know that it plays a really awesome role in your life. And I'm happy for both of you. Yeah. He, you know, he lives six blocks away. So a couple nights a week, I'll get through bedtime around 830. You know, finally, the four year old will pass out and I can sneak out of his room. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going. I'm going to, you know,'s house. And you're like, all right, babe, will you be home in time to watch our show? That's really the question. Yeah, <laughs> that's ultimately what are we back in time for? I've recently figured out the genre of show. I put this to words, mm. the genre of show that is just our bread and butter. Because <gasps> we talk about like Law and Order and there's these other random shows that might not make sense. But here's the genre. Okay. okay. We are so here for a troubled professional with a checkered past on the brink of emotional estrangement from his family is now taking on the biggest case of their career. So lawyer specific. We maybe love lawyer. Court. We like court But dramas. some kind of, I don't know, they could be a politician maybe or some kind of, I don't know, person out there like doing things. Yeah, there's. it's always solving a mystery. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, you know, something like profound and important. And- so we just finished Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, the series, not the movie. And we really liked it, even though it was like kind of annoying. <laughs> totally. So, so if you have any recommendations for shows like that. <laughs> <laughs> that are tropey along those tropes. Yes, totally. Okay, so now it is time for section three. Damn it. <laughs> it is now time for... For part three, existential thoughts I've been having lately. Ooh, this might be my most excited for section. Okay, so yesterday I read, you know, some fact, and I didn't fact check it, but it feels right to me that by 2040, which sounds so futuristic, but is less than 20 years away, corporations, private corporations will own 50% of all available real estate in the country, forcing our entire generation to be renters for the rest of our lives. Yeah, unfortunately, that does sound believable. 
And it just knocked me into this existential, God, it vacillates between total apathy because apathy is the only way I can even fucking cope with the actual feeling of it, which is like, it's so, it's pure evil. That is pure villainous evil that that is even allowed to happen. And if you are a person who is buying into some hedge fund, who is participating in this villainry, fuck you, get off our podcast. Quite pointedly. And like, here's the thing. All landlords are bad, right? And then people are like, eh, well, I'm just trying to like make a living for my family. And I, we own our house and I own one rental house that I Airbnb. Look, we're I'm not talking about you. We're not talking about you. <laughs> and also r- recognize that it's problematic. Continue to do it. I support you in doing it, but do it while right. Like I drink Coke. It, Coke is an evil company. I'm not going to sit here and justify, well, technically, blah, 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 one Coke a day. No, I'm going to drink a Coke. I'm going to say it's problematic that I do this. But I'm going to continue to do it while knowing that it's problematic. Just fucking own it. So if you are participating in this fuckery by, you know, owning some property that you then Airbnb or whatever charge renters, just do it knowing that you're part of a problem. But, you know, understand you're trying to survive. I get it. I'm not talking about you. No, absolutely. I think this is where a lot of the productive dialogue kind of gets stopped as people just assume that I'm talking about them. Yeah, totally. And I'm overlooking my own ways in which I participate within the capitalist system. And I think this is where we get misinterpreted. And I would say our anti-capitalism is actually compassionate in that the nature of the the system is so oppressive that it forces us to compartmentalize the things that we participate in because we have to do it in order to survive. And we recognize that other people also are doing the same things. There are just those with greater responsibility who are doing that at a greater level of harm. to more people so when we're talking we're talking about those people we're not talking about your average person who rents a house so that they can have a retirement and and a shot at a somewhat decent lifestyle where they don't have to work like that's a very reasonable thing that everyone like that's not you're not a bougie ass person for wanting that you know what i mean like that is a very reasonable thing that you should have access to and so but if you are participating if you are investing in a hedge fund that is buying up property to force people to rent forever so that you can be fucking rich fuck you anyway it just sent me down this existential rabbit hole like what what is the point what is the fucking point i think it's so interesting that capitalism will bring its own demise because it's like hey this is genius and it is genius if profit if you are a computer and profit is your only goal it does make sense that you would just buy all of the property and force people to pay you rent forever i understand the logic behind it but the fact that people are doing that with absolutely no forethought of like the effect, forget the moral ethical problem of it, the effect that that is going to have it like, how am I supposed to buy things? Don't you want me buying things? How am I supposed to buy things if all of my money is going to inflated food, gas, and rent forever? I'm not going to be able to buy your shit. <laughs> They're going to be like, well, the economy's down. Millennials aren't buying anything. Well, because you made me not able to buy anything. <laughs> like, uh, uh. Anyway, that's my existential thought I've been having lately. <laughs> Yeah, the totality of the fuckery of the system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The totalitarity of the fuckery of the system. See, this is why this is why you're my person. Yeah, I it's hard to escape. I mean, so I living where we live and seeing what we see is unfortunate. Did you have an existential thought you've been having lately? You know, reflections on all of the, you know, horrific things that have happened lately and, you know, just imagining what that must have been like. I'm hesitating even talking about it because it just feels so weird or I don't even know. But the kid who saw both of their parents murdered at the Chicago shooting, like, you know how you like just get stuck on certain details? Yeah, absolutely. Of of stories and they stick out, you know, that one obviously stuck out for... You just like existentially keep going back to like this kid's experience of the human... Doesn't know school shootings are a thing. Doesn't know, or doesn't know that shootings are a thing or that you could just get killed like that. God, we probably should have trigger warning to that. Yeah, no, that's why I mean, like, I don't even know the right way to kind of talk about this or answer the question, honestly, but my mind gets stuck on, on things like that. And like that, 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 that's his story now from now on. That is his story. Yeah, no, that is his story. And, um, 
you know, other parents like rescuing the kid and just, ah, anyway. Yeah. Ugh, I can't. Okay. Well, back to polyamory. Back to poly- you know, the important things in life, clearly. So we got this email today. And if you ever want to email us, you can go to uh, remodeledlove.com and, s- and send us a request for advice. I can't promise that we'll ever get to it. Okay. So we got this uh, request for advice that I thought was really interesting. So I thought we'd take it to the podcast. My husband and I have more or less the same story as you guys, except we are fairly new to it just over a year and we still do have sex with each other. Here's the thing. So far, neither of us has actually had sex with anyone and I've just been on a few dates. No sex, no kissing, just cute drinks and dates with some Tinder boys. Hubby hasn't been on any dates, but here's the bigger thing. When there's no date on the horizon, Hubby talks about polyamory so excitedly. Can't wait to do this. Can't wait to experience that. Can't wait to have sex with someone else again. But when I actually have a date, he gets weird. His mood is off. He passes snarky comments, rude jokes, and ruins my mood completely before I even have gone on the date, which means... I get super scared to be open or free on my date because he has said shit to me all day. Look at you, married woman, going on a date with another man. You signed a contract. It was supposed to be forever, etc. I just got back from a date and just now I was telling him how this guy's wife left him for another man and just left him with a kid. And he goes, you're going to do the same thing, nah? I feel he's being emotionally manipulative and it's not fair. We have an agreement in place. What should I do? I have a million thoughts. Do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? You go first. So, well... There's a lot here. Uh, I've spoken a lot about this stuff, especially uh, around this time last year when I was talking a lot about shadow work, which I'm going to start taking in a different direction as I've started to unpack more of the appropriative and colonialist nature of what Carl Jung did to like bastardize this ancient indigenous concept called shadow work. But when I was talking about that a year ago, you know, I talked a lot about, I created a lot of content around moodiness. We even have a piece of content that was one of our most viral of all time called polyamory and moodiness toward your partner. And I think in early stages of polyamory, it is a very real thing to be very excited about polyamory. And the second that there is a trigger, like your partner having a date, your partner being an NRE, your partner having sex with someone else, you resort to moodiness. Uh, For me, moodiness, kind of tying back to part one of this episode, moodiness was one of the main weapons of emotional abuse in my household. So moodiness is a huge trigger for me. And it's also something that I engage in as abuse. Like I abuse others through moodiness and I've had to become, I've had to work on that and become very aware of when I'm weaponizing moodiness, especially with someone that I have any sort of codependent relationship with where I know if I am moody, I'm a little off, I'm aloof, I'm cold. If that person is codependent toward me at all, it's going to throw them off. It's going to make me feel powerful because now they're like, what's wrong? Nothing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And it's like, if that person's codependent, their mood is going to be thrown off because now I'm moody in a world where they're not codependent and they're just like, oh, you are clearly off right now. I'm not going to let that affect me at all. See you later. Like that's the goal. That's the totally healed place. I don't know anybody who's there. I know very few people who are able to watch someone they love be in a mood, know that it's quote unquote about them and like not be affected by it. But the root of this issue is first of all, emotional abuse through moodiness and secondly, codependence. So to the extent that you are codependent with your partner, you will take responsibility for their mood. And so to the extent that she says like he's gets moody and then he ruins my experience. Nobody can ruin your experience but you. Nobody can kill your buzz but you. Somebody can be a buzz kill, but nobody can kill your buzz but you. So to the extent that this person's moody abusive behavior is affecting you is is really how much you're letting it and how codependent you are and how much responsibility you're taking for them. That said, this is emotional abuse and it makes sense that it would affect you. Yeah, 100% that's going to affect you and somehow this has to be addressed and and discussed and the root of the issue gotten at what's underlying that emotional abuse and what needs not being met on the other person's part that gives them the need to make snarky comments and try to be a buzzkill right in the first place like what you know what's triggering them and the feelings of their partner going on a date and what's that bringing up for them that's what they need to look at yeah so could you speak to that a little bit from your point of view as a man of when you would be triggered in polyamory the things that you would do like so one option is to get really fucking bitchy and moody And take it out on your partner and try to gain a little bit of a hit of power by killing their experience and buzz killing it. Or early on, I mean, we went through this where 
I was excited and going on dates and you were a dick about it. And I don't love that verbiage. <laughs> Why well, own it? But but that characterizes me that way. But that's what happened is you were not awesome. You engaged in a lot of these behaviors. Yes. No, I, I do. I, I but I but I also feel it's important that, you know, I engaged in dickish behaviors or I said dickish or said and did dickish things. Oh, instead of you were a dick about it? Yes. It's, it's not like I called you a dick. I said you were a dick about it. No, I feel like that is, though. All right. Okay. And you engaged in dickish behaviors similar to this writer, this person writing in. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. What was going on inside of you as well, a dude with feelings? Well, absolutely. I was triggered and upset and feeling insecure and not not grounded in my own sense of self. Mm. So what did you do to get grounded into your sense of self? You know, I fell back on the practices, the things that always made me feel alive and and connected, which were, you know, reading, writing, expressing myself through music, you know, meditation, um, journaling, a lot of that inner reflective work to just reinforce my own sense of autonomy and that, you know, I could always make sense of things no matter what happened. Yeah, and I would recommend that this person uh, jump in our peer support dude with feelings, dudes with feelings. Like, this is exactly what that group is for. You need to be around, among other people who can validate the experience that you're having, and there needs to be a space for you to be truthful about that shadow side, about the things that you're like, man, I kind of want to punch a wall, right? You need to, you need a space to be able to admit that while also recognizing that that's super toxic male behavior. Um, at the same time, I would encourage if this if I were on a peer support call with this person, I would be very much orienting them toward their role in this, which is to have boundaries. And so if your partner is saying shitty things when you have a date coming up and it's having an effect on you, the first thing I would recommend is owning the fact that, hey, you saying shitty things is kind of ruining my time. That's not your responsibility. That That's my fault that I'm letting it ruin my time. Um, but I, I don't like that. And so I'm going to no longer tell you when I'm getting ready for a date and I no longer consent to you saying these things to me. Um, and if you continue to say these things to me, I am going to remove myself from your presence so that you can no longer say these things to me. And if that person over time disrespected that boundary, we have a different problem at hand. Like that's a red flag. It's really on this person to get to a place where they can recognize this is unloving behavior and I will not tolerate it. So here's my boundary. If you are in a mood because you are triggered because I'm going on a date, I honor your path and I encourage you to get support in it. Uh, it would definitely be a problem for me if that person refused to get support in it. I don't like that. I do not like partners who refuse to get help when they are struggling. That is a deal breaker for me. It's especially a problem in men. I have found that they're just like, no, I'm just going to continue to suffer. It's fine. And I have to pull myself out of this. Like I have to figure out how to do it myself without getting help because it, it, in one world, yes, this person could just go on being moody forever. And if he respected the boundary, then you could last like that forever. But I'd be like, no, but I also want a partner who's going to eventually be happy for me going on dates. And the other problem or the other thing I would say is I would recommend being able to acknowledge like this is emotional abuse and I'm not okay with it. Uh, and if that's too triggering of a phrase, just something like this is unloving behavior. And I don't want my polyamory to look like this because that person could be like, well, I was just joking, blah, blah, blah. And I would just be like, that's fine. I don't, my request is that our polyamory doesn't look like this. I don't like it when you tease me. I don't like it when you joke about, you make quote unquote jokes, uh, basically making fun of me for going on these dates or shitting on me for going on these dates. So I don't want my polyamory to look like that. So I'm requesting that you no longer engage in that behavior with me. Uh, and if that, if my partner could not admit that that this was problematic behavior, that would also be a red flag or deal breaker for me. It's troubling because like we do shitty things to each other when we're triggered, unconscious, disembodied, and very quickly the other one will be like, hey, that was shitty. And we will be like, yep, totally. Like that's our relationship. Just the other day, you're like, hey, you are really moody right now. And I was being really bitchy to our kids. And I was like, you're right. I'm sorry. And so what I'm saying is it would be a problem for me if I was like, hey, that's 
not okay with me the way you're making fun of me for going on these dates. And if that person was like, oh, I think it's fine and couldn't acknowledge that what they were doing was fucked up, I, I can't do it. Yeah, no, that boundary has to nip it in the bud. Yeah. In order to <clears throat> in order to move forward in the way that's going to be comfortable for both of you guys. It takes a lot of, of tools, but in, in my mind, the perfect solution to the situation is that the wife would be able to say, hey, what you're doing is unloving behavior. I don't want my polyamory to look like this and I'm not okay with this. So I request that you no longer do it around me. And the husband would say, you know what? You're right. This is really fucked up behavior. It's coming from my triggers. I don't feel myself being able to just like get over that, uh, but I will remove myself from your presence and go be moody somewhere else. I'm not going to stop being moody because I can't just do that, but I will remove it from your presence. I'll quit throwing it at you and I will find someone to help me eventually heal this. That would be an ideal scenario. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just very obvious to me that like, that's what it is, but um, it requires everyone looking at their egos. People don't like to do that. You know, I think that's all really sound advice though. Thank you. Yeah, because those things are could be overlooked as really not important, but they actually do have an impact and they're just indicative of something else that's unresolved. Totally. And like it's really easy to lie to yourself and to be like, I'm just joking. Oh, we can't blah, blah, blah. But if you are really fucking honest with yourself, you have to admit that I am saying things to you to ruin your time. And because it makes me feel powerful for a split second, if I can get you to enjoy your date less or to kill your mood before you go on it, I'm going to get a hit of power for like a split second, like a drug that is going to numb this feeling that I'm having. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's actually really pointing to the fact that they're they're triggered on their polyamorous journey at this early stage of the reality of what it's like because it's one thing to talk about it it's another to you know be experiencing real time you're on your own while your partner is out on a date right and this person says like I feel like his behavior is manipulative and I feel like I want to live in a world where we can be like hey what you're doing feels manipulative and that person can go you know what that is what I'm doing. I am being very manipulative right now. I am hoping that my words affect you in a way that have an outcome that I am trying to get this that I am trying to get to happen. Yeah. No, no, it's clearly a power move. Yeah. And so may we all live in a world where we can admit our own fuckery. all right uh we want to say thank you for listening to this podcast thank you for your feedback letting us know that you really prefer episodes where it's joe and i sitting down that was juicy yeah because this was really fun it's really been nice to be back in the studio with you and we'll get a lot more episodes out before you head back to school um support us on the patreon join patreon.com slash home size productions go to remodeledlove.com buy our book buy our new book buy it for a friend uh buy it for yourself Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter at Remodeled Love, TikTok at Home Slice Productions. Share our media with your friends. And of course, share this podcast with everyone you know. That's all we ask. <laughs> just all of it. Thank all you. the time. Thank you so much. Fall in love just a little, little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit every day with someone new.